Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. And again, happy holidays. Hope you're having a great Christmas holiday. And as we move towards the new year, we're taking some time to look back over some of the issues we've been covering. Some of these issues were ongoing throughout the course of the year. We got some resolution. We're here right before the holidays. A lot of things have been happening. Uh, one of the ongoing issues is California's Proposition 12 that not only sets production standards for those in the state of California, but also says anyone wanting to sell into that California market has to meet the same production standards. Well, the National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau Federation are challenging Proposition 12. Here to talk about it is Michael Formica. He is the Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs and Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this legal challenge. Well, thank you for having me on, Mike. Uh, so uh, as you as you indicated, uh, last week, uh, American Farm Bureau and National Pork Producers Council filed a lawsuit in federal court in Southern California, so we're looking at the um, San Diego area, challenging Prop 12 and the impact that Prop 12 will have on pork producers outside of California. We, t- we believe there's about 700,000 sows are needed to, to satisfy the California demand for pork. It's a, it's a massive state. Uh, they have about 1,500 sows uh, in commercial production there. So the vast majority, practically all of the pork California receives comes from out of state. And the uh, and the state through this Proposition 12 is trying to impose its will on, on farmers in, in Minnesota, in Montana, in Iowa, in Ohio. Um, it's going to, in order to comply, it's going to incur huge, huge costs, four to five hundred dollars per sow, a uh, couple billion costs across the industry with, uh, you know, if it were to fully go into effect and all would be said and done. And uh, it provides no benefit to California. Um, and so we have uh, we have challenged it. The Commerce Clause, uh, the Constitution doesn't allow them to do this. Because that's really the crux of the matter, right? Can one state determine uh, what uh, people in other states do. Uh, that's is there is do you have yeah, legal it. standing here? I mean, do you have a precedent? Do you think that the, gives you a strong case? Well, so the, yeah, there, there's a, multiple ways that the courts have looked at at these issues. But I think you 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 came down to the 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 essence of it. Can one state impose its will on another state? And the the classic test would be there. You know, California would treat their farmers differently than they've treated farmers elsewhere. And that's not what's going on here, because there's nobody who's raising pork uh, at a commercial level in California. And so the, then, they, then they step and they look, uh, they look 
to see, well, if we balance everything out, is there a benefit? Is there an actual reason that California did this? And is it justified considering the massive cost that's elsewhere, uh, that's imposed elsewhere? And there's, there's one case that, that looked at this briefly, uh, and that dealt with foie gras production. And they found that there wasn't enough foie gras, um, that, that, uh, poultry uh, product. It comes from the liver of, of geese. And there was $5 million of the, the foie gras industry was about $5 million, had a value about $5 million nationwide. And the court said, well, California's animal welfare interests don't outweigh the $5 million foie gras industry. But the pork industry is vastly greater than the foie gras you know, industry. We're, we're not talking $5 million for the entire industry. We're talking... Two to three billion dollars in harm to a twenty or thirty billion dollar industry. We sell at the retail level about ten billion dollars worth of pork into California, and there's there's just no comparison between the harm that's going to be imposed outside of California and you know any any claim that they can have to a benefit in California. They they've alleged in Prop 12 there's a food safety implication that there's a higher risk of, uh, of salmonella but that's not true at all that that actually is a is a egg issue um and then they've got just this notion that they you know that that the voters know best how to raise animals but the voters in california don't know how to raise animals they don't raise animals our farmers have been for generations have been you know have been working with animals They've been living with the animals. They've been living on the farm. Their highest priority is the, is the care and well-being of their animals. And they're the ones, that, along with their veterinarians, who are in the best position to, to know how to raise those animals, to keep those animals safe, keep them comfortable, to keep them healthy. And you know, Prop 12 doesn't do any of that. And so you're often looking the- at the massive cost versus no benefit to California. Right. These things often comes down come down to what court you're in, what judge you get. Uh, so, how have you looked at that and made and and gone about this? Well, we um, I, I don't I don't want to get too much into this because uh, you know some some of that is uh, is the, the magic behind the, the behind right. the curtains and and there's some legal strategy involved here. But um, you know we you know we looked at California. We looked at where. You know where they consume a lot of pork, and so those areas that might might feel the the brunt of the burden from this. Um, you know we're you know we're also cognizant of the fact that at the district court level, um, and we looked at what you know what courts might move quicker than other courts. Um, but but you know we're we're mindful of the fact that we do have an uphill climb at the district court level. Uh, and so we've we've prepared this, you know, in uh, in preparation for having to go the long haul. Uh, yep, that's so whether all, we all. win it in the district court or the court of appeals or the Supreme Court, um, we are uh, we are looking to uh, we are looking to challenge Prop 12 and, and ultimately prevail. That all has to be considered. You're right. That that is so much a part of the legal strategy. All right, we'll be watching closely. Michael, thank you for the update. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. All right. 
Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs and Council for the National Pork Producers Council. So that is one of the stories we'll be watching in 2020, that legal challenge to California's Prop 12 that's uh, being uh, conducted by the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation. Again, that is an issue that has a lot of uh, will set precedents and has an impact for production and producers all across the country. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today and the last one for 2019. Let's hope for a very good 2020. Thank you for joining us. Have a safe and happy new year, everyone, from all of us at AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second, in time, on the first, double play! Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, here at the end of 2019, there have been some real positive developments for agriculture. House passing USMCA, a spending bill that includes a biodiesel tax credit, and some positive developments uh, towards uh, trade with China. But one area that uh, has not come up uh, so positive, and that is uh, the administration's decision to not make changes in how they determine small refinery re- uh, exemptions, small refinery exemptions, and uh, how that undermines the RFS and also uh, their RVO levels for 2020, uh, really not accounting for lost gallons or future lost gallons from those exemptions. So this is a real concern for the uh, ethanol industry in particular. And we're talking now with Kelly Neuenheis. He's chair of the Iowa Corn Growers Industrial Usage and U.S. Production Committee and also the president of Siouxland Energy Cooperative in Sioux Center, Iowa. Kelly, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Mike. Um, we thought there was going to be a, a new agreement, a new deal announced, uh, but now it looks like not only is the agreement that you thought you had with the administration not going to happen, really the pledge to uh, fully support and uh, keep the RFS intact, really that uh, that pledge has gone aside too with this uh, decision by the administration. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this past week I was involved in a meeting in uh, Washington D.C. at the White House with uh, Mr. C- uh, Director Cudlow, and uh, you know, when uh, our corn growers walked in the office, and uh, first thing he started doing was reading the press release for Thursday morning. And we knew right away that that was going to be the EPA's supplemental rule 
um, we started responding instantly and said, you know, uh, that's not the deal that um, we were given from President Trump and himself on September 12th and October 4th. And uh, we are not going to respond friendly if that's the way um, the ruling is going to come out. What do you think happened? Well, I think after the the deal that uh, President Trump and Mr. Kudlow had made with our state legislators, you know, Senators Ernst and Grassley and Governor Reynolds, on September 12th and October 4th got out, um, I think somebody, um, well, the oil industry probably reacted and uh, changed their position. So, uh, you know, the, that frustrating part was I talked with Senator Ernst the 13th of September, I believe it was, the day after their meeting, and she reassured me. She said when she was walking out of the, of the meeting, uh, Mr. Kudlow um, told her, he said, Senator Ernst, you're going to get this deal. The three-year rolling average of actual gallons waived added back on top of the RVO numbers, and uh, and that was the deal we thought we had. And uh, uh, about 11 days later, the EPA comes out with their supplemental rule, and all of a sudden, for the first time in three years, they're going to start abiding by the DOE's recommendations. And uh, we knew right away this was going to be a, we're going to have to respond quickly and hard, and I, I got to compliment the Iowa corn growers because we never let off um, until the last minute. We had, ended up having a 50-minute meeting with Mr. Cudlow, and actually he had made made the comment that he would go back and look at it. But uh, you know, obviously that didn't happen, and uh, they didn't change their position. We're talking with Kelly Newenice uh, with the Iowa Corn Growers and also president of Siouxland Energy Cooperative in Sioux Center, Iowa. Kelly, basically, they are asking you. Your, the ethanol industry, the biofuels industry, to trust EPA. Well, that's pretty hard to do given their track record on this issue. <laughs> yeah, you know, Mr. Kudlow asked us when he started reading that uh, press release and we started responding. He goes, why aren't you people happy with this? This is a good deal. And I made the comment to him. I said, you know, with the history of the EPA over the last three years, it's really hard for us as farmers and the ethanol producers to put the word trust and EPA in the same sentence. I said the uh, deal we were told we were going to get from the president was the deal we were happy with. It's simple. It's numbers. Um, they couldn't mess with it. But this ruling, um, you know, it, it kind of puts a cap on corn-based ethanol at 15 billion gallons, not a floor. And, you know, we could get 15 billion gallons, but we might not. So we're going to have to be constantly watching over the EPA and pressuring them to make sure they get it at 15 billion gallons. And uh, um, that's not what the law of the RFS is supposed to be about. It's part of the Clean Air Act. is what is better for the environment. Yet we have the Environmental Protection Agency restricting us. And really there's no indication that EPA is going to change their policy on these exemptions, right? No, that's that's absolutely right, and and this new ruling really is not going to come into effect until 2021, um, and you know that's you know, that's not the certainty um, farmers need. That's not the certainty the ethanol industry needs, and you know it's definitely not uh, um, going to change the market. And uh, we need this market. You know the the market took a crash after the last 31 SREs were granted. 18 to 20 cent drop in the market of ethanol is a big move. 
And, uh, you know, since the announcement came out, um, I think it's been up a penny. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not, it's not responding, um, the way it should have if it was a positive news that we were, you know, hoping for that, uh, the deal on September 12th and October 4th. So obviously the market sees the same reaction we do as farmers and biofuel producers. I think as we look through the political lens, the thought was the president will want to address these concerns because he doesn't want to alienate his uh, rural base uh, going into the presidential election. It's almost like they're saying now, we think with USMCA passing and we think we're on track to have something good with China, uh, you know, that that'll offset any negative feelings that'll come out of this decision. Uh, You think they're looking at it that way? Oh, I think they did, but I think they're wrong. Um, you know, the big, you know, we appreciate, you know, the Japan trade agreement, uh, but Japan's, you know, they're a very solid market, but they were already a solid market. Um, um, the USMCA, that should have been passed a year ago. Um, you know, and that's, the USMCA is good for American consumers and American producers. It's not a win for the R or the D's. It's a win for America, um, consumers and farmers. Um, you know, hope the China deal. We've heard a lot of promises. Uh, this last phase one announcement sounds good, but we really haven't seen anything of it yet or, uh, you know, how quickly it's going to change things. Um, you know, I've known for a fact in my farming career the, the best growth potential we have for demand for corn produce and even soybeans on the biodiesel side is um, biofuels. Um, you know, that's our greatest growth potential, and uh, when they keep reducing us and holding us back on that, um, that's going to do more harm. Um, And then they add all the SREs on top of that and do demand destruction of 4 billion gallons over the last three years. Uh, There's no way there's going to be a positive aspect towards President Trump's next election with this uh, RFS announcement or EPA announcement. In other words, you don't want to hear anybody in, from the administration, again, publicly talking about how they support biofuels. Oh, no. You know, it's, a, it's pretty obvious. That, you know, talk is cheap. Um, actions are um, speak louder. And um, so far, you know, we did get E15 year-round, which was a, a plus. But that's long-term growth. You know, that's a gradual growth. And I do believe there will be growth that's connected to that. But then you do the opposite thing with the SREs and grant 85 of them over three years, where the past administration, I think, granted 10 over eight years. Um, so, you know, they're abusing the system at the EPA, and uh, and uh, it, it, it definitely did damage to the um, biofuels industry, and, and they're not going to reinstate the, those gallons. They, we're, we're just being told that those are darn, you know, you lost them. So for some reason, they feel we're supposed to be um, satisfied and, and okay with that, well, or not. So we're going to continue to fight and uh, move forward and hopefully make some progress here going forward. Well, that's the history of the ethanol industry and those in it uh, have fought one challenge right after another, and uh, and this is the latest one. Uh, Kelly, thank you for being with us and uh, giving us some insight into this. And uh, even with this news, we'll hope for a better 2020 for the, for the ethanol and biodiesel industries. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Mike. We're all looking forward to 2020. All right. Take care. Thank you. Kelly Neuenheis, uh, Chair for Iowa Corn Growers Industrial Usage and U.S. Production Committee and also the President of Siouxland Energy Cooperative in Sioux Center, Iowa. Certainly uh, 
at here at the end of 2019, not the news that the biofuels industry was hoping for from the administration. All right, stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture on this New Year's Eve. As we look back at 2019, some positive developments at the end of the year, certainly with the passage in the House of USMCA, a priority for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And I talked with Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for NCBA. Yeah, Mike, and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there. This is uh, this is very exciting news. Uh, passage of the USMCA has been a big uh, priority for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and all of our state affiliates for quite some time. So to see the the overwhelming support in the House of Representatives yesterday, it just uh, it sent a clear message that uh, this is an agreement that that we should all be behind, and and really it shows that. Uh, that Congress listened to, uh, you know, to NCBA and to all of the other groups that supported this. Uh, the administration, uh, from the beginning, uh, you know, they they gave us uh, their word that they would do no harm when it comes to NAFTA, and that's exactly what happened. We saw NAFTA brought into the 21st century without jeopardizing all of those provisions that have benefited the U.S. beef industry for over 20 years. So yesterday was a, was a great step forward. And now we just uh, have to move this through the Senate. Hopefully we can get that done by the end of January. So USMCA, from a beef perspective, not you don't get a lot of new gains, but it keeps what you had. It gives market certainty. Is that is that how we can uh, accurately describe it? Well, that's exactly it, Mike. And I mean, when you look at what NAFTA offered us, it gave us duty-free, unrestricted access to both Canada and Mexico. So for over 20 years, we've invested heavily in developing uh, consumers in both of those markets. Uh, Canada has always been a, a very strong market there, but we've, we've developed that about as much as we can. The important thing was that we keep that competitive advantage over all of the other countries that now have access to the Canadian market, competitors from Australia, from New Zealand, and likewise in Mexico. Mexico is where we've seen the most growth. And Mexico is our third biggest export market. So, uh, you know, this was really about uh, just keeping that access going, keeping a, a competitive advantage in those markets. But there were also some sanitary and phytosanitary provisions that uh, that were helpful. But most of the most of the bugs had been worked out in trade between uh, U.S. beef and other country and those those two countries before. 
uh, this process started to really, the, the victory for us was not jeopardizing what was already there, and also uh, just clearing the decks with this so that we can move on to other big agreements. And uh, to the administration's credit, they've been able to really just move a lot of things in a short amount of time, uh, USMCA being one of those. So we see this as a very positive development and obviously uh, something that it will continue to support as we move this through the Senate. Do you have the votes in the Senate to get it passed? I think the votes are, are definitely there. I think there will be a few people who uh, will, will object to it. Some of them have never supported trade agreements, and then others uh, will, will probably you know, have some other uh, you know, local reason or something to oppose it. But by and large, I think this is going to move. The biggest hindrance in the Senate is going to be the, the question around impeachment and how that you know, could potentially create a logjam uh, for uh, for USMCA, I think that uh, you know there's there's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of support for USMCA in the Senate. Uh, there's not a lot of open opposition to it. I think there are a handful of folks who who have you know in both the, in both parties, but you know by and large, I think this thing is going to move. The question will be when it will move, and a lot of that will have to will depend on what happens with the impeachment process. I thought it was interesting some of those in the House that voted for USMCA were members of uh, Congress that have uh, raised questions or doubts about it in the past, but they, they got on board with it. Yeah, I think the, the question that was always on enforcement of the labor provisions, you know, that was really the, that was really the big thing that, that came out of this. And, uh, you know, Ambassador Lighthizer worked very closely with the Democrats to, uh, you know, to help uh, build those assurances with them. And I think it'll be interesting to see how this uh, how this really carries forward. But by and large, you know, it's it's this was this was a major victory for the administration. It's it's extremely rare that the AFL-CIO endorses any trade bills, uh, much less uh, one in a Republican administration. But this was this was a big message uh, to a lot of folks that you know trade agreements are, are not just. Uh, Republican in nature that, you know, you can have bipartisan support. And when you look back at, like, the Korea agreement and and uh, previous agreements like that, most of that was along partisan lines. Uh, even in a Democrat-led administration, it was usually Republicans that carried the day on trade bills. But we've seen, you know, broad bipartisan support for USMCA, and I think this is something to build on. You know, trade is usually criticized. Uh, and it's one of the most misunderstood issues that's out there. But at the end of the day, this is about building uh, a strong framework for the U.S. economy, giving us access to the 96% of the consumers that live outside of our borders, and making sure that those rules of trade are enforceable. And I think that's what USMCA has accomplished. As I've been saying, uh, boy, when you look at things from a trade perspective, 2019 was a very challenging year, but it is certainly ending up better than it started out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have to pinch myself sometimes because there's so many major victories on the trade front that we're going to enjoy going into 2020. Uh, you know, USMCA being one of those, we're, we need to, to really push that over the line in January. But when you look at January 1st, Mike, and the fact that the Japan deal will kick in and that our tariff rate in Japan is going to drop from 38.5% to 26.6%, and then again on April 1st, it's going to drop even more. That means that we're going to have 
more competitive access in our number one export market. And also on January 1st, that's when the U.S.-specific uh, beef quota in Europe kicks in. And that's a duty-free quota for beef from non-hormone-treated cattle. And that was, uh, the, again, those are two great opportunities for our producers. So we see those three things and then potentially, you know, the China deal uh, being rolled out uh, sometime in January. Uh, 2020 has a lot of very, very positive potential for the U.S. beef industry. This is something that, that we are going to celebrate. We're going to continue to support. That's Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. It's also that time where we look back at the past year just concluding and ahead to the new year. I talked recently with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. He pointed out there are some positives for agriculture as we end 2019 and move into 2020. Uh, we, I think we we really do. I think the administration is uh, three and zero right now. When you take into consideration the the USMCA news that we got yesterday, uh, you add in the the Japan agreement, the the fact that we're going to start to see tariff reductions uh, beginning in 2020, and then the Phase One deal with China. Uh, you know, we want to see uh, get to that 40 to 50 billion dollar total. Uh, those are all big wins in, in the trade department. Yeah, I would say I would make it three and one for agriculture because the, the decision on the RFS was not a favorable one for what the biofuels industry was wanting to see. But still, positive things that should bode well, I would think, going into 2020. Now, we don't know what the weather's going to be like, and that was such a huge story in 2019. But the, the headwinds on issues that are so critical, like trade, certainly seem to uh, be more. Maybe, maybe there'll be a tailwind, not a headwind in 2020. Well, well, first of all, Mike, you're exactly right. Three and three and one is is probably where we need to be. Uh, you know, we've been talking a long time about needing to build demand, and and we're doing that on on the trade front. Uh, but demand destruction in terms of these small refinery exemptions, uh, we thought we'd get this fixed, and and unfortunately, you're exactly right. We didn't get the the outcome that we wanted. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna move forward into 2020, and and I think if we look on the supply side. You know, the the big uncertainty now is, is weather's probably going to bounce back. And we had 20 million acres go unplanted in 2019. Some of those are going to come back, and, and that's where uh, it's so critical to have strong demand because we're certainly going to have big supplies. We've talked about this before, but you can't review 2019 without factoring in the market facilitation program payments because uh, had we not had those, it would have been a, a really tough year. I think had we not had them in 2018, uh, and had we not had them in, in 2019, we'd be uh, talking about a much much more uh, dismal outcome or outlook on the farm economy. I mean, when you talk about injecting some $22.5 billion over the span of two years, uh, that's going to help farmers. Uh, no one's made whole by this, uh, but, but for many of the producers I've spoken with, I think they went from a point of, of losing money to maybe scratching out a little bit of profits uh, because of the MFP. But, but make no mistake... Uh, every single producer I've talked to says they'd rather have trade and not aid, and that's why the, the you know, use Mecca, as many people are starting to call it, the China Phase 1 deal and, and Japan are so important. Another challenging year for dairy, but there were some positive signs there, too. You know, dairy did, did bounce back towards the end of the year. Uh, we saw milk powder prices uh, move up. Cheese prices, uh, you know, shot up. I think they, they showed some weakness uh, in recent weeks, but when you look at a Class Three milk price of $19 for December, uh, that's a much-needed milk price. What we need in 2020 is more of the same. 
Uh, the dairy industry's gone through four or five years of depressed prices, uh, so we need more $20 milk checks, a lot more $20 milk checks for folks to dig out of the hole that they've dug themselves into. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. So indeed, some positives for agriculture at the end of 2019, giving us hope for 2020. Wait and see what the weather does, how Mother Nature uh, treats us in in 2020. But uh, certainly on the trade front anyway, uh, some positive news, some concerns and challenges still for the biofuels industry moving forward. Uh, But uh, at least a a little more positive uh, outlook than we had much of 2019. Well, coming up on this uh, New Year's Eve edition of AOA, we're going to look at the November Ag Equipment Sales Numbers with Kirk Blake. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Throughout the year, each month, we have taken a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers. And let's take a look at the November numbers with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for joining us again. Uh, What do the November numbers tell us? Well, November numbers kind of continued uh, a little bit of the the trend that we've been seeing throughout the uh, uh, I'm sorry. The the October numbers actually what we'd be looking at, and the November numbers kind of continue on the uh, the trend that we've been seeing for the for the last year. Well, we're sort of in a replacement market. The uh, you know the numbers have uh, have have been up and up and down throughout the year, but uh, you know year over year we're up just a little bit. But each individual month kind of kind of shows some uh, some delays in the in the markets in the individual categories that we've been looking at. We saw a pretty sizable drop off in in some of the bigger categories. Uh, but we also, uh, you know, kind of see some bright spots in in some of the row crop tractors. Yeah, let's talk about the bright spots. What do you see that gives you hope going into a new year? Well, the things that give me hope in the new year is have, have uh, more to do with the stuff that's not reflected in the market, and that's the fact that it looks like we're going to get close to uh, to a USMCA package. Um, uh, you know, passed right after the first of the year, so that that gives us hope. That gives us some certainty that comes into the market. Uh, the other thing that gives us just a little bit of hope is is that uh, uh, you know, if, if some of this uncertainty that happens, uh, you know, as it relates to trade and uh, uh, you know, even demand just in general, those are things that, that that give us hope into the new year. But as we look specifically at those November numbers and how how we expect this market to end up, I think we'll look back at 2020. As our excuse me, 2019 as a year where where we were up slightly for the year, but um, and it's reflective of the replacement market. But uh, what started out as a really strong year ended up being just a little bit soft based off of that uncertainty that we had with uh, with trade towards the end of the year. I guess you can look at it. You wish the numbers were higher, obviously. But on the other hand, considering the type of year it has been with all the uh, the headwinds. Uh, you could say, hey, the numbers, all things considered, aren't too bad. That's uh, that's absolutely the way I would uh, I would couch it, Mike. Is that uh, 
you know, all things considered, to end the year, you know, sort of sort of flat to slightly above where we were um, this time last year, I'd say that's a that's a pretty good win. There's some bright spots out there. You know, combines have been a really interesting market throughout the year, where we had months where it was just absolutely on fire. Uh, you know, selling a whole lot of whole lot of new combines and knowing that the used market looked kind of similar to that. And then you have a a month like November, where where uh, year over year over year for the same month was down quite quite substantially. Uh, you know, the the combine sales for November specifically in nineteen versus eighteen were down about a quarter, down about twenty five percent. Now, this so that makes the whole average of the year on combines that we're basically going to be flat. So, but we did look at some timing. I think that absolutely is weather related. Thing goes with uh, with articulated four wheel drive tractors. We saw some really some softness in that market in the month of November, but for the whole year, uh, you know, self propelled or articulated four wheel drive combines have been up about three percent. So we're you know, there's a lot of different stories about the timing there uh, that has just been kind of fun and interesting to watch. But I think all in all, as we write the write the you know write the story on 2019, I think what we'd say is that it's it's. Uh, uh, it's a replacement market. It's been an okay year. It's not been great, but it's been an okay year, all things considered. It's been even more of a struggle in Canada, hasn't it? Boy, Canada's a different story entirely. And uh, you know, as much as you try to put a positive spin on any numbers that you can put forward, those just don't show up in in Canada. And you know, your heart goes out to to Canadian farmers when you see some of the numbers, the economic numbers that show up with their. Uh, um, you know what's predicted to be for net farm income, um, and the numbers are absolutely showing in the uh, in the equipment sales. November was a little bit of a turnaround for combines and for uh, for uh, uh, some of the tractor numbers, but year over year, combines are down about twenty percent uh, in in Canada, and uh, all tractors in whole, as a general, uh, all tractors are down about three percent. With the over one hundred horsepower tractors taking a pretty big hit at about down seventeen percent for the year. And articulated four-wheel drive tractors being down 37% for the entire year to date. Those are big numbers, and that's really that's really painful, um, you know, to, to 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 report those numbers. And that again, your heart goes out to the farmers that are having to make those economic decisions, where you know that they're just being being really hurt by uh, by some of the by some of the trade uncertainty and just sort of the, the things that are going on with the, with the ag economy in Canada in general. So we look ahead to a new year. Many people have said, let's turn the page on 2019 and, and move on, and, and we're hopeful that 2020 will be a better one. And, you know, we don't know about the weather. Hopefully that will be better. There have been some positive things happening with trade here at the end of the year. Uh, it, it looks like, you know, a, a little more positive feel going into the new year than what we've dealt with much of this year. Well, I'll tell you, it, you know, optimism is you know you, you've been around me long enough, Mike. Know that I'm always optimistic, and and uh, and 2020 feels like we've we've kind of turned the turned the corner on some of this uncertainty, and that's been the story that's really has has driven the entire markets for 19 is the uncertainty. So if we bring in just some some better certainty on USMCA, if we bring in just bring in some more certainty around a around China trade, that helps the markets a whole lot. I saw. Uh, just some announcements today and some movements on on, uh, on on ethanol. It's maybe not necessarily the story that we want, but at least it brings some certainty to that particular market. And I think that certainty allows for the markets to return to some normalcy. Uh, we're, but there are still a lot of issues that are at play there. You know, weather, as you mentioned, I mean, that's uh, we're, we're 
we're uncovering just some, you know, two really funky years on on weather where you've had prices go, or where you've had uh, uh, months that have gone up, months that have gone down, uh, just because of, of the way the weather patterns happen. It's just been really interesting for our farmers to deal with. And who knows what that's going to say or what that's going to look like, but it does look like, um, you know, the, the trade and the markets are going to improve for us a little bit, provide some certainty. Well, next month we'll get uh, the latest, the year-end numbers, and then uh, we'll start really looking, focusing more on 2020. Kurt, as always, thank you for being with us. Hey, thanks much, Mike. All right, take care. That's Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That wraps it up. Thank you for joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.